Good morning. How are you doing? Hey, listen, can we say thank you and show our appreciation for this great worship team? That, thank you to Pastor Treasure and his team. Man, just such a blessing every, every Sunday. And then how about those kids up here this morning and all that energy? How long has it been since you had that kind of jump in your step? Man, oh man, that was so good. Kids and music, there's just something dynamic about kids and music. Do you, do you remember the kind of music that you listened to when you were a kid, growing up? I, I, I grew up in the 50s and 60s. That was the 1950s and 60s. And I, was, I, I had a little transistor radio that I bought with my paper out money, and, and I was listening to Elvis Presley and um, Ricky Nelson, Fats Domino, Jerry Lee Lewis, banging away on the piano. And then the Beatles came to town. The Beatles. Remember the Beatles? I, I, with that paper route money, I bought myself a couple Beatle albums right here. You recognize those? Cost me a lot of money back then. And they're worth even more money now. It's great. I love the Beatles. And, and then my, my, well, you know, and I even started kind of dressing like the Beatles and wearing my hair like the Beatles. I think we got a picture of that. Yeah, that's, there we go. I, it, it, by the time I was in college, it was covering my eyes. And I have no idea where that stuff went. No idea. But then my kids grew up a generation later. They were growing up in the, in the 80s and 90s. They didn't have transistor radios. They had cassette decks and boom boxes. And they were listening to uh, Snoop Dogg and MC Hammer and Michael Jackson and Prince and Bon Jovi and Def Leppard. There's a name for you. I listen to some of their music. I understand why all the leopards went deaf. And then my kids' kids, my grandkids, uh, growing up the last 15, 20 years in the 2000s, and they, they, they've got their iPhones, and they got their iTunes, and they got Spotify and, and AirPods, and, and they're listening to black-eyed peas. I mean, my mom used to cook black-eyed peas. Kanye West and Jay-Z and J. Cole and Drake and Post Malone and Imagine Dragons. My generation, it was Puff the Magic Dragon, and they're trying to imagine some kind of a dragon. You ever wonder what kind of music Jesus listened to when he was growing up? I can tell you exactly what he listened to. You know, we're studying the Psalms this summer, and the Psalms were not written just as poetry. They were written to be sung on purpose. It was like the Psalms was the Hebrew hymn book. And when Jesus was just a babe in arms, Mary was singing lullabies to him from the Psalms. And when he was a kid growing up, that's the music he heard in his home. His mother Mary singing the Psalms. His, his dad, Joseph, probably humming a tune or, or whistling a tune from the Psalms in his carpentry shop. And, and they were a good Hebrew family. They went to the synagogue every Sabbath. And what do you think they sang at the synagogue for praise and worship? They sang the Psalms. 
And when they went to the temple in Jerusalem for special holidays and Passover and celebrations, they sang the Psalms. I love that. Every time I read a Psalm and I think about Jesus grew up with this music. Jesus sang this very same psalm that I'm reading. And it just is a wonderful connection. Think about that when you're reading the psalms, that this was the songs that Jesus sang, that he grew up with, that he memorized, that he knew deep in his heart. And I wondered sometimes when he reads, the Lord is my shepherd, if he knew that was him when he was a little kid. I've always wondered that. You know, I'm going to focus my time this morning on what I think is the most beloved psalm, probably the most familiar psalm. We're we're going to look at the first verse of Psalms 23, the shepherd's psalm. What, What I love about Psalms 23 is that it's a picture of God. It's literally describing the characteristics of God in Psalms 23. It it helps you get to know God better and what he's like. I I read about a little girl who was in a Sunday school class, and she was working on a project, and the teacher came by and said, Honey, what are you doing? And she said, Well, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher said, Well, nobody knows what God looks like. And she said, Well, duh, they will when I get finished. (laughs) And so I hope when I'm finished with this sermon that you'll be reminded of what God is like and how much he loves you and how much he cares about you and how much he wants to be a part of your life and, uh, and to meet your needs. You see, the, the more you understand God, the more you trust him. And the more you trust God, the less you worry. You know, worry, that thing that we know we're not supposed to do, but we find ourselves doing it all too often. What do you worry about? I I know folks who worry about money and finances and how they're going to pay the bills. I know folks who worry about jobs and their career, about relationships and marriage about your kids and your grandkids. You worry about your health, the future. You know, I was talking to John Ord recently. He's the finance guy here at Eagle Naz. He's just a great guy. I love John, and he really knows that financial stuff. And um, I had been noticing the stock market fluctuating up and down, and, and uh, so I, I, I was talking to John about that, And, you know, the thing I love about John is he's just a straight shooter. If you ask him something, he's going to give you an honest answer. He's not going to beat around the bush or pussyfoot around. He's just going to tell you what he thinks. And I said, John, I I have to admit, you know, I've been watching the stock market and a little worried about the economy. And he said, well, Jerry, you, you probably should be worried about the economy. Your hairline is obviously in recession. Your waistline is showing signs of inflation. And I think you're headed for a Great Depression. John is such a blessing in my life. (laughs) But we don't need to worry. There are three things about worry if you stop and think about it. One, it's unhelpful. 
and two, it's unreasonable, and three, it's unhealthy. It's, it's unhelpful because it doesn't accomplish anything. Worry has never solved a single problem. Do you understand that? It's stewing without doing. It's like racing your car engine. It's like putting it in neutral and pedal to the metal. And what do you get? A lot of smoke, a lot of heat, a lot of noise, and you don't move an inch. You're sitting right there in the heat and the smoke and the noise. Worry can't change the past. It can't control or manage the future. It just makes you miserable today. And it's really unreasonable because the more you focus on something and worry about it and get anxious about it, it's like, it's like it gets exaggerated in your mind. When you're thinking about it and how bad it's going to be, it just seems to get worse and worse and worse and bigger and bigger and bigger mountains out of molehills. And the more anxious you become to worry about something you can't change is useless. And to worry about something you can change is ridiculous. Because if you can change it, change it. Put an action plan together. You know, take some proactive steps. Uh, get some help. Talk to some people. Make it work. But don't worry about it. It accomplishes nothing. And, and worry is unhealthy. Your body was not made to worry. It's an unnatural activity for us as humans. And all the latest medical research confirms that there are some negative side effects when you worry. And people get headaches, they get backaches, they get insomnia, they lose sleep, they get irritable and stressed out and tense, they get diarrhea. And I could go on and on and on but I'm worried that you might get sick if I do, so I'm going to stop right there. The only thing that worries in all of God's creation is you and me. Plants don't worry. Animals don't worry. Only people worry. The, 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 the word that we translate worry in English comes from an old word that literally means to strangle or to choke out. And that's exactly what worry and anxiety does in your life. It, it strangles and chokes the peace and the joy and the contentment that God wants to provide for you. But we lose all that in the midst of it. You were not born to worry. Worry is a learned behavior. So if it can be learned, let's pray it can be unlearned. And we're going to work on that this morning. You know, when we, when we think about what the Bible says about worry, we usually turn to Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. I mean, that's literally the way Jesus wants us to live as Christ followers. Not worry about tomorrow. We're going to take care of today. Not going to worry about tomorrow. It's unhelpful, it's unreasonable, it's unhealthy. And, and sometimes we turn to Philippians 4 where Paul said, don't be anxious about anything, but pray. Paul says, turn your worries into prayers. Turn your anxiety into prayers. 
To truly overcome worry, I think that we, we have to believe that God is able to take care of us. And that God wants to take care of us. And that God is committed to take care of us. You know, if, if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down, God will take care of me. And I want you to underline it and put an exclamation point. Now, I hate it when preachers do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Turn to your neighbor and say, God will take care of me. Do it. Now turn to your other neighbor and say, God will take care of you. Because he promises to do that. That's what he wants to do. Psalms 23.1 in the NIV says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. In the New Century Version, I like it even better. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. Wow. Most of us learned this verse originally in the King James Version. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When my dad was trying to help me memorize that as a little kid, I thought he said, the Lord is my chauffeur, I shall not walk. <laughs> That'll work too. So you say, Pastor Jerry, if the Lord is my shepherd, how is that an antidote to worry? Well, you got to know what shepherds do. If you were a shepherd, you'd know this stuff. If you were a sheep, you'd probably know this stuff. Shepherd's job description, provide, protect, guide, and correct. That's what a shepherd does. He, he provides for his sheep. He provides all the necessities of life, food and safe pasture and shelter and water. And he protects his sheep from enemies that would prey on them, both natural and unnatural. That would, he protects the sheep from harm. And then he guides his sheep. He leads them when they're confused, where they don't know where to go, when they need direction, the shepherd provides that, tells them the right path to go down. He leads them away from danger, and he leads them and guides them to protection and safety and provision. And then out of love, he corrects the sheep. When something's not right, and sheep are not the sharpest, smartest animals, they get themselves in messes, and then they freak out, and they get all distressed. I, I think we have a clip of a distressed sheep here. I've heard you do that. I've seen you when you're distressed. That's the way we react. It's crazy. But the shepherd... See, see that, sheep need, that sheep needs a shepherd to step in and, and fix or resolve or change or correct whatever's going wrong. And that's what I need in my life. And that's what you need in yours. God wants to be your shepherd. I, I, I love this word picture in Isaiah 40. Isaiah was, was talking about what we're talking about, talking about a shepherd and a sheep. And, and he said, talking about God, he says, he tends his flock like a shepherd. You know what shepherds do. 
He gathers the lambs in his arms. He holds them, carries them close to his heart. That's the kind of relationship God wants to have with you and with me. God takes care of his sheep. And and this whole idea of God taking care of us is even expanded in the New Testament. Uh, Paul wrote in Philippians 4, talking about God taking care of us, he he said, God will meet some of your needs. Amen? Isn't that a blessing? No, that's not what it says. It says God will meet most of your needs. No. What does it say? God will meet all of your needs. That's that's amazing. He wants to be your shepherd. He wants to meet your needs. Now, he didn't say God will meet all your greeds. Difference between needs and greeds, yeah. You spend your whole life as parents trying to help your kids understand there's a difference before between there's a difference from what they want to what they need. And and if you're a good parent, you help them understand that difference. If you gave them everything they want, they would have such a distorted view of life and reality. They would have this unrealistic expectation and sense of entitlement. They would not know how to function if you gave them everything they need. They'd be spoiled rotten, which is exactly what would happen if God gave you everything you wanted. You'd be spoiled rotten. You'd be the biggest spoiled brat in the entire universe. We couldn't stand you. We wouldn't want to be around you. You'd have such a distorted view of life and reality. God doesn't say that. God says, I'll meet all of your needs. I'll take care of you. I'll be there for you. That's the promise from the shepherd to the sheep. Let me ask you, how many of you have any kind of insurance? Car insurance, health insurance, life insurance, homeowner's insurance? Now, isn't it true that if you have a policy and you know what's in the policy and you know that you're covered and you know that the premium has been paid, that you just don't think about it much, do you? You don't worry about it. I mean, you don't get in your car and buckle your seatbelt and turn on the car and then go, oh, my word, I hope I have the right kind of insurance to get me to work today or to get me to school today or to get me where I need to go. When you know what's in the policy, when you know that you're covered, when you know the premium has been prayed, paid, you've been prayed, I like that, you don't worry about it. You know, in this book, there are over 7,000 promises. If you don't believe me, I encourage you to go home today and find them all. Memorize half of them. 7,000 promises. You know that that's your divine insurance. When you take these promises and apply them to your life and you know what the coverage is and you know that the premium is paid, see, the premium has been paid by the blood of Jesus. Jesus paid it all. It's paid in full. And you're covered. And when you know that and understand that, it brings such peace 
and contentment to our hearts. So what does it mean when David says, the Lord is my shepherd? Now we know what shepherds do. We talked about that. Let's talk about that word Lord. Hebrew word Yahweh, translated Lord, literally means the one who's in charge, the one who's responsible, the one who's in control. Now, we don't use that word Lord much outside of church. We know what it means in church, but we don't use it in our normal everyday conversation because we don't live in a world that has kings and queens and lords and ladies and counts and castles and, and uh, Downton Abbey. You know about Downton Abbey? Anybody know about Downton Abbey? You know who's in charge of Downton Abbey? who's in control, who's responsible, it's Lord Grantham. He runs the place. He's in charge. I don't even know his first name. I just know he goes by Lord Grantham. He has that title because he's responsible. He's in charge. He's the guy who makes sure everything's working the way it's supposed to work. And in our modern day vernacular, we might say, instead of Lord, we might say boss or president or CEO, or owner, or chairman of the board. It's the one who's in control. So who's in control in your life? Is it you, or is it God? I would encourage you to think You know, have have you ever consciously, intentionally, on purpose, invited Jesus to be the Lord of your life? I know you want him to be the shepherd. I know you want him to protect you and provide for you and, and guide you and correct you. But have you ever relinquished control of your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I want you to manage I want you to be in charge. I can't do this by myself. When I try, I mess it up big time. I need my shepherd to move in and be the Lord of my life. Jesus identified himself in John chapter 10 as the good shepherd. He just stepped right out and said it. This is Jesus. And he said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. They listen to my voice. They follow me. See, that's what it means to have Jesus as Lord of your life. It's that kind of relationship. I know him personally. I listen to his voice. I follow him. I obey him. I go where he leads me. I say yes to Jesus as Lord. You know, we've, we've been talking about worry And you know that worry is a control issue. When you worry, it's because you realize that as hard as you're trying to keep this thing under control and manage it, that sometimes it doesn't go the way you want it to go. And things kind of start falling apart. And we fear that we're losing control, so we worry and we get anxious. You see, worry is the warning light that says, you know what? You're trying to control this thing. 
You're trying to be in charge. You're trying to do it on your own. And God says, let me be the Lord of your life. I created you. I made you in my image. I know you better than you know yourself. I, I, I know what you need. I can provide what you need. I know what will give you true peace and contentment and happiness and satisfaction. I can do all that. I have the power to bring those things to pass. As your Lord, I'm the one who can make all things work together for good in your life. So there's three points to this sermon. It took me 30 minutes to get to the first one. We need to invite Jesus to be the Lord of our life. Second point, you need to pray instead of worry. I encourage you to think about that. Begin to pray about the things that you worry about. You know, the difference between prayer and worry is who you're talking to. If you worry, you're talking to yourself, a lot of negative self-talk, blowing things up in your mind, exaggerating them. Do you know behavioral psychologists have told us after decades of research that less than 90%, no, 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 less than 10% of everything you worry about, no, 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 how's it go? Only 10% of what you worry about has any chance of happening. Over 90% of the time and energy you put into worry, it will never even come to pass, and you've just wasted all that mental, emotional, spiritual energy worrying about something that 90% of the time isn't even going to happen. When I'm worried, I'm self-talk negative, I'm talking to everybody else. When I pray, I'm talking to the one who can make a difference. I'm talking to the shepherd the Lord, the one who can help me. Worry can't change a thing, but prayer does. Worry is stewing without doing. Prayer gets in touch with the shepherd who can make all the difference. You know, when you worry, you have two options, panic or pray. Let's not worry, let's pray. In Philippians, it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, about, instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs. That's the powerful bridge that connects us to the good shepherd. If it's important to worry about, if it's important enough to worry about, it's important enough to pray about. God's ability is greater than your anxiety. If you're taking notes, God's ability is greater than your anxiety. 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, give all your worries to him. Why? Because he cares about you. The NIV says, cast all your anxieties on him. He cares about you. In the original Greek, that word Cast or give literally means, it's a much stronger term. It means drop it. Let it go. Put it down. Stop carrying it. Get rid of it. 
God literally wants you, the, the stuff you worry about, God literally wants you to lay it down and pray it up. He wants you to lay it down, let go, and pray it up. Prayer is an incredible stress reliever. So we're going to accept Jesus as Lord. We're going to start praying about stuff instead of worrying. And then we're going to take it one day at a time. Jesus said, don't be anxious about tomorrow. God will take care of your tomorrows too. Live one day at a time. You've heard that all your life. Live one day at a time. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. One little increment at a time. That's what God wants us to do. He's saying, now listen, we're going to handle this thing one situation at a time. One challenge at a time. One, one anxious moment at a time. One rainstorm at a time. We're not going to open the umbrella until it starts raining. Okay? That's what God's saying. We're going we're gonna to wait until it's time to work on this issue. We're not going to worry about it ahead of time or worry about it past time. One day at a time. I know the future can seem overwhelming, so God has put it in little bite-sized pieces for you and I. The disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us to pray. Help us know what to say when we pray so we can connect with you. And, and in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus gave them some really important ideas. And this concept stands out when he said, Give us today our daily bread. One day at a time. To worry and not to worry is a daily choice. When I get up in the morning... I get to choose, am I going to worry or trust God? Am I going to worry or let the Lord keep his promises? Am I going to worry or let Jesus be the shepherd? That's the choice that faces us every day, moment by moment, rainstorm by rainstorm, day by day. When we say, I believe God will take care of me. I know he wants to be my shepherd and my Lord. Life is complicated, it's complex, it's crazy, it's confusing. It, it can't ever be, be reduced to a little three-point outline. I understand that. Life's not like that. But if we were to embrace these three spiritual principles and put them into action, accept Jesus as my Lord, pray instead of worry, and consider one day at a time. You know, the 23rd Psalm is an intensely personal song. It's not some generic general poem that David wrote to kind of pump you up and give you some artificial hope. Intensely personal. You know, 17 times in those six verses, the words I, me, and my I mean, it is such an intentional, personal connection that's being described here. The psalm's about a relationship. It's not about rules. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. You, you don't need religion. You need a shepherd. 
You need a friend. You need a Savior who is committed to providing and protecting and guiding and correcting. God says, that's what I made you for, for relationship. Now, the, the closing minutes of this service are all about you. I've been running off at the mouth, been telling you what I think. But the last few minutes of this service, the team's going to come up and they're going to sing a song. Words will be on the screen. But I'm asking you to just kind of take a few moments to reflect on and to think about and to meditate on what we've been talking about this morning. You know, kind of, kind of block everything else out. And I just want you to think about this phrase. The Lord is my shepherd. And what does that mean in your life? You know, I, I have no idea what's going on in your life, but he knows. And he knows what's keeping you awake at night. And he knows what's stressing you out and creating anxiety. He knows what you're worried about. And he's coming to you this morning saying, I, I, you don't have to carry this alone. I'm, I'm, I want to help meet your needs. I want to be your friend. He's promised to take care of us. He, he, he's going to ask you and me both in the next few minutes to lay something down and to pray it up. And I don't know what it is for you. I mean, I, I know what it is what I wrestle with and what I carry that I shouldn't. But there's going to be an opportunity. Whether you're sitting right there in your pew or you're kneeling at the altar or you're in the prayer room with somebody, it's going to be something you need to lay down and pray up. So these moments are for you. And remember, the Lord is your shepherd. And he loves you.